straight ahead with the 606 Club from Midnight Wednesday. How's your week been? Thank you once again for joining me on this week's 606 Club Straight Ahead Show. The track we just listened to was from China Moses, a track lifted from her album Night and Tales. We just listened to Running and I played it because she has worked with our guest this week, pianist Mike Gorman. We're going to be hearing plenty more music from Mike and of course the interview as well. 
Next to play is a track from an artist who I'm glad to say is back with us this coming Friday at the club. Dave Lewis and One Up are back. Along with Lizzie Dean on vocals, you're going to be hearing on stage Al Cherry on guitar. There's going to be Robin Aspin on the keyboards, Level Neville, Neville Malcolm on the bass, and Rod Young's on the drums. Let's listen to a track from Dave's album Under the Same Sun called Casablanca. Different from the rest A camera and a motorbike Were all that you possessed Standing by a lamppost Taking in the scene Wasn't there about you Of the movie screen Night fell fast around us As we talked many things Time slipped like mercury Between our fears and dreams You Casablanca, you'll be going there one day It might hold the answer to what you could not say You were looking for that cafe between the desert and the sea Looking for that woman who will break your heart in three Scorpio, when you came into a dream, you said, Come into the river, cross over to my side. It is fast and dangerous, but it will be all right. You were looking for that cafe between the desert and the sea, looking for that woman who will break your heart in three.
Dave Lewis, Lizzie Dean and one up with us at the club this coming Friday. If you go over to the website, 606club.co.uk, you can make reservations there and the gig gets going from nine o'clock. Somebody else I'm going to be sitting down with over the course of the next couple of weeks to record an interview with that I think you might just hear in August. If not, it'll certainly run in September. Is pianist Luke Smith. Luke has been busy once again gigging and releasing a number of singles and EPs. We've got a track lined up from uh, Luke to play now called New Dawn that features on the vibes David Rapport.
as we've now turned the corner into August, and believe it or not, summer's really moving on at a pace, isn't it? It means we're in the month of our great gig, Jazz on the Lawn, which is all down at Fulham Palace over the weekend of Friday the 13th of August, where you can see Polly Gibbons. And on Sunday the 15th of August, Wayne Hernandez will be on stage. Tickets are on sale now. It's always very popular. So I suggest you go and uh, make your reservations as soon as possible. And uh, say there's plenty of music happening at the club this week. And still to come on the show this week, we've got music from Caroline Vane, something brand new from saxman Timo Lasso. We've got Marlena Shaw, Theo Crocker and Dee Dee Bridgewater. So some great music over the course of the show this week. I mentioned that Mike Gorman is our guest. Here is a track that he recorded with Bob Martin's trio and it's called Trinkle Tinkle. Thank you. 
until we hear the first part of the interview with Mike, but that, as I say, was a track that he recorded along with the Bob Martin trio, Trinkle Tinkle. An American now living in London, a very young and talented musician by the name of Caroline Vane, has released her second single recently. We've been all behind her. Uh, She's making some fantastic music. I think there's going to be a full album release later in the year as well. But back to the second single, this is Casual Love. Why don't you stop lying to yourself? You know I'm not the one you want Please don't expect me to hang around And watch you have your fun Cause I don't want your casual love Your 
of Finland's leading jazz artist Timo Lasso is back with a brand new album and a brand new sound in fact the album's going to be called Trio it's on full release as of the 27th of August via We Jazz Records and the album's got a real tight swinging and funky sound to it led by the strong and riff ready sax of Tenorman Limo and here's the lead single Foreign Roots
So, as you know, our guest on the show this week is pianist Mike Gorman, from whom we're going to be hearing very soon. But I mentioned at the start of the show that he's played with a number of artists, including Theo Croker and Dee Dee Bridgewater. Well, I've managed to find a track that uh, they recorded together on Theo's 2014 set called Afrophysicist. It's a great track. I love Dee Dee Bridgewater's vocals on virtually everything she does. And here she is, along with Theo, Save Your Love For Me.
So having heard from a number of artists, China Moses, Dee Dee Bridgewater and Theo Croker that have all played along with Mike, let's listen to a track of Mike's called Aurora du Son and then we're going to get into the first part of this week's interview with me, David Lewis. Straight ahead, jazz and conversation.
Mike Gorman, how are you doing, sir? I'm fine, thank you, Dave. Yeah, thank you Good. for having me on. No, it's great. I've, you know, you're on my shortlist, and finally this week I got around to send you that message and you were gracious enough to respond, so here we are. Are you keeping well? Are you keeping well? Yes, not bad, thank you. And are you finding things are getting busier again? I mean, we'll talk about that later, later on, but... Yeah, uh, work has started to come in, you know, and, um, and, and, and I'm seeing a lot of work being posted on Facebook by fellow musicians, so that's quite encouraging. It's encouraging, isn't it? So, music and you, were you, uh, did you get together as a couple, a youngster? Did you find music as a very young lad or? Yeah, I, basically I was sent for a year of piano lessons when I was <laughs> It when sounds I was like nine. purgatory. <laughs> yeah, well it was, it was like that, for a year of piano lessons when I was nine and I showed absolutely no interest. Um, so I, I wasn't even entered for the grade one. And then about two years later, out of the blue, my, my dad was a sort of amateur, is an amateur, well, was, he's, he's 90 now. Amateur musician in Sheffield. Uh, a couple of years later, they, my parents bought this Yamaha organ. You know the old. Like, I know the ones. Bells my grandmother had one. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they sounded was, awful. If yeah, I remember. Yeah. But, but for, for as a thirteen-year-old, I was like, "Wow, this is incredible! Colourful stops and just all sorts of stuff." And, and, and I played that basically, um, and I, I just started playing that, and then and, and I did take some lessons on that. I used to go to the local music shop, and this chap used to just give me a standard to learn uh, and i'd be and i'd learn it for next for the next week and just just go in and play it that was that was it so next week learn this one and so and i'll be playing bass pedals i remember when i was 14 playing the ghostbusters theme tune <laughs> so like with my foot i was going <laughs> like the left hand i'll be going and the right hand And there's absolutely no way that I could do that now. But I remember doing it at age fourteen. Just kind of, I think when you when you're a child, it, not, not, you don't nothing's sort of too complicated. It. Exactly, you just go okay. I'll do that. So I played organ for a bit, electronic, and and then I started to tootle around on the piano again. Um, and when I was about sixteen, this may be a terribly naive question. Are the layouts and the keys at all different? Is there different disciplines between organ or Hammond or piano? Um, Are they? Yeah, well, uh, it's it's kind of a different touch, really. Right. Um, but but the Hammond thing, I, I didn't come to that till years later. I mean, I, I, t- I totally just started playing the piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, like I said before, I, I took music out level but failed it. I just wasn't interested <laughs> in any of, any of that side. So it was literally um, you were just didn't have the aptitude. You couldn't be bothered, really. You understood it. It made sense to you. But sitting on the exam. Yeah, yeah. I, I was more interested in uh, when I was sixteen. I got heavily into blues music, and I played guitar as well. And I just used to sit there in my parents' house for hours going, uh, like that, you know, pumping that thing along and, and just playing bluesy things. And that was it, really. And then um, and then I think 
you know, played some pop songs as well and and looked at the odd. I could always read music. I mean, I'm a terrible sight reader, but I could always read music and, and mm. I, you know, learn some Mozart stuff slowly and badly. And then I left school. You were up in Sheffield, right? In Sheffield. And I, I didn't know what I wanted to do at all. And um, I went to the careers library and I managed and I caught sight of some music courses you know, Salford and Leeds. And I thought, that looks exciting. You know, it looked a bit like the kids from fame. And um, I thought, I'd like to do that. So I went for an audition and they said, um, they basically said, we like your playing, but you need to get grade eight theory. I mean, I, I, I took on this, this this insane piece, but for a, for a sort of self-taught person, mm-hmm. I, I learned this Chopin etude in C minor, the, the revolutionary. Again, that's the thing that if I tried to do it now, I think mental obstacles would defeat me, you know, but I just... So other than the, the workshop you talked about, there was no formal education. You are a totally self-taught musician until we get to the Salford part of your life. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, with plenty plenty of weaknesses and bad habits to show for it. <laughs> you know, I, I would recommend anybody going down, t- taking lessons and, and, you know, no. It's always better to have somebody more experienced showing you stuff. But... Um, and again, of course, back then there wasn't even the internet to refer to. I mean, now I'm guessing if you were in that position, looking online, you could probably find some decent tutorials and somebody's watch. Yeah, it's a different world. But funnily enough, I, I did when I got started getting into jazz at about age 18. I um I found this piano theory book, um, piano jazz theory book by this kind of obscure pianist from the Midlands. And I can't, I can't remember his name now. It, it, It'll come to. I'll email you the name so you can mention mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and and you know, it was just that book taught me everything about theory that I needed to know, basically. And I had this thing. I thought, when I've gone through this whole book, I'll be able to play jazz. And um, of course, got to the end of the book and was still floundering around, exactly the same. So that taught me that the only way to play is to play, really. And so you said your old man was a, an amateur musician up in Sheffield. Mm-hmm. What sort of style of music was he playing? Playing like. Um, Jazz, like big band saxophone sort of thing. Oh, he was a sax had, man. Yeah, saxophone. Yep, yep. And, he, and, and he played a few instruments, a tootle about on guitar and flute and clarinet and things like that. Um, so so yeah. jazz was in the house. You kind of heard jazz from a young age and big yeah, band jazz yeah. and so on swing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I guess it, uh, when I, I got into Salford College. So uh, you did your grade eight, did you? You were a good boy. Theory. <laughs> I did the grade eight theory. Yeah, I did it quite quickly. And I, I think I was lucky in the exam because jazz theory, as I understood it, and classical four-part harmony and all that stuff, it's like a slightly different world, you know. In the classical thing, there's all these rules you have to adhere to until you get more advanced. But um, It's funny you should say that, you know, the amount of guys I've had on here, because uh, it's, it's fairly typical that a lot of people will have gone the classical route first. Yeah. And when these guys find jazz, they say it's like this freedom. Suddenly they don't have to just play what's on the page. They've got yeah. freedom to be themselves. They find their own yeah. voice, their own expression. Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, I love classical music. Most of the time now, I don't listen to jazz. I listen to classical music, and I mm-hmm. and when I, I've got two young kids, so I get virtually no time to play. But when I do, I've, I find myself wrestling through a badly through a piece of Bach or Schubert or, or something like that. You know, um, I've kind of turned the other way really. Uh, when I was at Salford, I remember there was this great um, theory teacher called Frank Salter. He knew tons about Wagner and Richard Strauss and all the rest of it. And, and I just talked all the way through the lessons. 
And I absolutely kick myself now because um, the chance you had. Yeah, I guess it just wasn't ready for for that sort of thing. Now I spend all my time looking at scores and listening to classical music, and it's, it's so clearly the fact that you were self-taught to you know to the age of eighteen or when you were at university, um, music obviously just made sense to you. You're a quick learner, and I, I guess I'm a similar kind of character. If something really appeals to me, I'll go deep into it and just yeah, force myself yeah. to learn. And I'm yeah. getting that vibe from you that I'm not saying yeah. obsessed, but you would become very focused on something and you uh-huh. would learn it. I probably that that's correct. Yeah, I, I, you know, like a lot of. I remember a very intense year of practicing the year before I went to Salford, and then, you know, and I remember like locking myself in the piano rooms quite a lot, staying late at night, you know, and, and all that stuff. Um, so I think I think everybody when they're sort of really getting into it, they go through this intense period of of playing all the time, and it's one of those things where I think when you really get better is when you're playing and you're not aware of time passing and, and you, mm. you're just playing and then you look at the clock and you go, oh, God, it's nearly time for dinner, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's when the improvement happens. And Salford, um, that name has come up many times. I think Georgina Jackson went there as well. That's right, yeah. And I've got a, Yeah, and I've got a friend, a, a sax player, um, Rico Garofalo, who went there as well. The, the name keeps coming up. It's, is it a good course up there? Um, I think... I mean, I don't think I did the course justice, so I, I couldn't comment on that. I think the course is good. You're very self-deprecating. Like well, no, I, th- I think I think like anything else, it's what you get out of it, what you put in. You know, if, if so you true. It, that course, if if you want to get a lot out of it, it's all there to be had. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I mainly got out of that period was being in. There was a great music scene in Manchester in the early nineties. A lot, lots of players who ended up in London, like uh, Steve Brown, the drummer, mm-hmm. Mike Outram, the guitarist, mm-hmm. a great bass player called Matt Miles, who, who sort of retired and became a school teacher, but he was fantastic. Um, quite a few of us, we all used to play together. We had a quartet, Mike Outram, myself, and Steve Brown and Matt Miles. We did loads of playing. And there's another great player, drummer up in Manchester called Luke Flowers, um, who's in- incredible. I used to play with Luke loads back in the day, you know. Um, yeah, and it was just a great scene in Manchester. There were several places to play. We've been playing most nights a week if you wanted to, so that's mainly what I got out So, of again, that. your education really was the gig scene. Yeah. Being with the right guys and making yeah. contacts and establishing yourself on the scene. Have you always enjoyed yeah. the gigging side of it? Is that something you like getting up yeah. on stage? Yeah. That, that is, I think that, that's been my bread and butter for, for the last you know, 25 years, 25, 30 years. I'm 50 now, so I guess it is nearly 30 years. And yeah. being musicians, all you've ever done, that was always yes, once yeah. you stumbled across this Salford course and went off to, tossed off to Manchester. Yeah, I'm very lucky I've never had to have a proper job. I mean, I, I did briefly work in Sheffield University Students' Union Bar when I was like 18, and it was so bad I just left without handing my notice I just stopped walked going. away <laughs> <laughs> but then a, a couple of weeks later I got my first playing job in a restaurant in Sheffield and I was getting something like 15 pounds a night and I was like wow get 15 pounds a night for, to like play the piano which I enjoy and I used to get less than that in being shouted at and having beer thrown at me yeah a bunch of students not like a good that. choice no they're very drunk of no. Manchester no 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 so how no. long did you stay in Manchester for after the course before uh, venturing down to London way for a couple of years till 95 and then and then there was this kind of kind of unsaid thing Steve Brown and Matt Miles were thinking of going down and, and I and I thought you know what it'd be good to go down but I have an excuse to go down and, and so I thought oh, maybe I'll audition for that Guildhall course 
And um, so I auditioned and I got into what was what turned out to be a very strong year, actually. I'm very lucky to get in. Um, so I'm right in thinking they only take a certain amount of each musician, don't they? A certain amount of pianist, guitar, so, sax yeah, players. There was, four, there was four piano players that year. There was myself uh, and the amazing Jim Watson. You know mm-hmm. Jim Watson? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, me and Jim hit it off straight away and became very, very firm friends. And we are to this day. There was a great player called Arnold Carnu. That's a name ended, I've not heard. No, he, I, I've not seen him for years. He ended up doing a few pop gigs, but that was years ago. I don't know what he's doing there. And there was an incredible piano player and an incredible composer and called Florian Ross, who who is now kind of head of music at some major college in Cologne and teaches uh, colleges all around the world. He's he's a pretty major European composer figure now. I mean, when we were at Guildhall, so, you know, I was 25, Jim was about 23, Florian was about 23. None of us had really ever done an arrangement or, or a chart of any kind. Florian was this prolific. He'd bring charts into the big band every week. There's always one, isn't there? This was, this, yeah, this was before notation software, all handwritten. Handwritten, charts. yeah. It is incredible. <clears throat> and, and like predictably, he's gone on to be one of the leading composer arrangers in Europe, I think. He writes for the NDR and the WDR and things like that all the time. So just checking out your two courses, the one at Salford, was that a, a performance course? It was um, it was a sort of general music course, yeah. And then the the postgrad masters that was the, the postgrad was the Guildhall, yeah. That was that was a performance course. And like I said to you before, I a couple of us, certainly me, maybe Jim. I can't remember whether bass player Mark Hodgson, but a few of us was got quite busy doing gigs within about six months of being on the course. And one of the requirements of the course was to do a big band arrangement. I, I just couldn't be bothered to do it. So I didn't get my certificate. So actually, I haven't got my postgrad in jazz and studio music, but I just went on the course tree and used it to get a bit of a foothold in London, I think. So to use one of these uh, well-trodden phrases, you are a student of life then. You kind of learn on a hoof. Uh, yeah, school of hard knocks. Uh, the uh, Somebody said, can I swear? I can't swear on here. Can I'd, I? I'd have to bleep it. <laughs> yeah, well, somebody said the school of hard knocks of the University of Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the bleep, but it adds to the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I mean, the, the scene in London then, so you were, I guess, early 20s, you were sort of down in London as a young lad, pretty much by yourself. Yes, you'd met a few mates and so on along the way. But breaking into the scene was that, what you said, you got gigs fairly quickly. Yeah, I think what happened was, see, now, every year with the college intake, there's literally, there are, there are hundreds of great musicians in London, hundreds now, mm-hmm. and the standard when they come down, they're, they're, they're all really complete players. It's incredible. But I think what happened to all of us, you know, you're kind of in a small pond up north. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, you, you sort of can carry on playing. And what, uh, definitely what happened to me, and, and, and I think Jim and, and quite a lot of the rest of us, we got down to London and we all immediately improved because suddenly, whereas up north, you, there were, you used to there being like three piano players on the scene. In London at that time, there were... I mean, it sounds funny now, but there are like 20 great piano players. Yeah. Now there's hundreds. But uh, back then you were like, wow, we got down there and there was Robin Asplund, Gareth Williams, uh, Pete Sabaton, um, you, you know. All um, big hitters, yeah. Yeah, there was a chap called Nick Ram who was on the Guildhall the year before us. He's a great player. Phil Peskett in the Guildhall before, year before us, great player, you know. And um, I remember going and hearing Gareth first time at the uh, 606 and thinking, blimey. This is like, a, and Robin as well, you know, I absolutely loved Robin Aspen's playing. And uh, and and, this, uh, and then be, be, 
because it was kind of a smallish thing like that, every year p- people would like they say, oh, have you heard these guys at the Guildhall? There's like, you know, they earmark people, you know, and um, and it was like that for a few years on, until it started exponentially exploding with music. Now you just lose count. There's so many different micro scenes all over the place. Absolutely. But it's very true. In fact, my daughter's a musician, she just got her master's and, uh, but we had this discussion. She, you know, she's a decent sax player, but she said, look, there's so many burning hot sax players in yeah, London. Yeah. To break onto the scene now, you know, so... It's very true what you say. I mean, and, and, and recently, well, yesterday, in fact, I interviewed Alex Ridout, and you know, I've had Zoza on, I've had uh, uh, Deschanel, obviously, a pianist like you. There's so much great youth coming through as well at the moment. Yeah. Jazz is jazz is in a great place right now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the only thing which has concerned quite a lot of us for years, I think, is because of the jazz education system, there are incredible amounts of players coming through, but you wonder where the work structure is going to be to support them uh to make it to actually make a living i mean we you know my generation very lucky especially if you were able to diversify it into like a bit of pop music a bit of arranging you know whatever you, you could sort of make a living just about you know mm. um, but but now you think well if at the end of the day people have to make money to pay their rent exactly that or mortgage or whatever and I remember being in my 20s, early 20s, and thinking, you know what, I'd rather be a poor jazz musician, a starving jazz musician than a sort of pop music, than a rich pop musician, you know, and, and just having this sort of artistic ethic. And, you know, w- within like six or seven years, that does a complete 180. <laughs> <laughs> when you really got bills to pay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, 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 and there's this phrase that... Um, oft quoted Bill Evans phrase that I think has a lot of um, has a lot of responsibility for a lot of hungry artists because Bill Evans once said you know I've always found if I take care of the music everything else everything else will take care of itself and and so you used to go go by with this sort of mantra of oh, just practice and then you suddenly think um I don't know what yeah you know. the red stew at the end of the month yeah
finishing off the first part of our interview with pianist Mike Gorman was a track named Irma La Douche. More for Mike in a short while's time. On Thursday this week, we've got saxophonist and composer Julian Costello at the club with us. He's going to be on stage along with David Beebe on piano, David Jones on bass and Eric Ford on the drums. And next to play on this week's Straight Ahead is a track of Julian's named With Custard. Straight Ahead with David Lewis. Thank you. 
So back to our interview with Mike we go and we're going to start off the second part of our interview with a track with quite a lineup actually. Not only is it Mike on the keys, we've got Dave O'Higgins sax, Freddie Gavita trumpet and it's a track called Parallelogram.
so, I mean, without sort of getting into the, the pounds and pence of it, sort of back in the 90s, a musician could earn a decent enough, you know, assuming you were good and you were on the scene, you'd get calls and you'd do session work. Does session work pay quite well? Um, I've never done loads of session work, to be honest. Uh, it depends what kind of session work. If you were, because I've never been a, like, a really great sight reader, um, the sort of sessions that I did were, were kind of organic type, pop type sessions or, or jazz things. But uh, the session work that, that is quite lucrative is sort of doing movie soundtrack sort of scene, you know. And, and you know, there are certain players on, on the jazz like you know drummer like drummer Ian Thomas bass player Steve Pierce um guitarist John Paracelli uh, they've you know you can put them in you know Stan Salzman is another one you know even though they're all great great jazz players you can put them in a studio and put anything in front of them and and and, and, the, and the producer knows that it won't be a problem I remember I remember once on um, uh, Stan Salzman used to play with the Jim Mullins organ trio, and we did a couple of albums. And I remember Stan got me on one of those sort of reading sessions once, and I, I don't think he realised that I, I wasn't the greatest reader on earth, you know. And uh, and it was one of those, things. and I knew the guys on the session, but the, the producer just put this chart in front of me, and, and it was immediately obvious that I was struggling, you know. And, and um, I, I got through it, but it wasn't. I don't think it was the... Uh, Your brain was a bit fried. My brain was fried. And also, and I don't, I don't like being in that situation because you know that everybody, you're, you're sort of holding things up, you know. So now if, if I'm called to do anything like that, I am, I'm very honest. And, and I say, you know, I'm not the fastest sight reader. I can do stuff, but I'm not the fastest sight reader. And, and, you know, sometimes that may put people off, but I'd rather not be under that pressure. There was one occasion I did a few episodes of Strictly Come Dancing in the old days when it was Laurie Holloway was the MD. Oh, good old Laurie. He was Parky's yeah. MD, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like classic, uh, great jazz pianist as well. Mm-hmm. Classic British. He's a proper showman of the 70s, isn't he? I've seen yeah. him. Yeah. 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 He, he was MD of Strictly when it first started. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, for the first like two or three seasons. And uh, his, his fixer, George, he, he called me. He said, "Oh yeah, can you come in and dep on Strictly?" And I said, "I'd like to do it, but you better tell Laurie that I'm, I'm not the greatest sight reader, right? And, and you know, I don't really read loads of fly shit first go. I, I can look at, I can read chord symbols and a few little lines. And anyway, and, and I thought that was that. I thought I've probably done myself out of a gig there, but you know what? Anyway, George phoned me back and said, "Oh, um, it's George Hamer. That's right. George phoned me back and said, oh, oh yeah, Laurie says you'll be fine.'" So I said, I thought, okay. Anyway, I turn up and uh, and, I, and I sort of make the schoolboy error of not really checking out all the charts properly. And then it's a dress rehearsal and he goes, okay, three times a lady. I turn the page and it's all written out. And it's a simple song, but when I'm suddenly, you know, and so I sort of struggled through it in the dress rehearsal and then and it, then it was live TV. And and I was I was sweating. I, I was thinking, I mean, I got through it actually, but but I remember thinking, the amount of stress I'm going through now is not worth, not worth the what you're being paid. paid yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, it was all right. And then they called me back. I did a couple more. I did. I did. I think I did the final when Denise Lewis won it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll go back and find that. Now you sort of timestamped it. We can go back the, the, and find there that. Are, occasionally, there are pictures of me sweating TV. in the background. Well, no, actually, with Bruce <laughs> Forsyth standing there. You know these tributes to Bruce Forsyth programs that come on occasionally. Yeah, I yeah, never yeah. seen that. My, my one of my cousins or something spots me. 
you know, <laughs> and then post it on Facebook. Oh, if only there were repeat fees, eh? But um, just to sort of put into context for people listening, some of the names you played with, the great Jim Mullen you, you've mentioned, Georgie Fame, yeah. Incognito, yeah. Kid Creole, yeah. China yeah. Moses, the sassy Marlena yeah. Shaw. Now, she's a yeah, lady that strikes me great, got yeah. character, isn't she? Very lucky to, to tour for about 10 years. Whenever she came to Europe, we, we, we tour Europe with her. And we were mainly playing the funk repertoire, but occasionally me and Marlena would play like a standard or something, you know, like You've Changed or... Because she's just an outstanding jazz singer. She but has. She's, she's got great jazz chops. I mean, I know from Meryl is a soul singer, but I've got some of her jazz work as well. So you were kind of her pickup band then. You were, you, you were we, pick-up we, band. We were her European pickup band. Yeah, the same guys did it for years. It was it used to be a jazz funk band called Push. Yeah, uh, I've yeah, heard of them. Push, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Ernie McCann, Crispin Taylor, Mark Vandergut. So it was those three and me, basically. And uh, they're great players. We had a great time. Uh, and Marlena is hilarious, absolutely hilarious. I mean, more jokes than I can remember, but we were always in stitches. I do remember one time on stage, Bonnie's, that she's just sassing, talking to the audience, you know, and she looks back at Crispin, the drummer, and Crispin's kind of big, you know, big chap, you know, strapping lad. And uh, she looks back and she goes, hey, this is RMD, Crispin Taylor. Uh, and she said, hell. Bible says, thou shalt not cover thy neighbour's wife. Hell, don't say nothing about not covering thy neighbour's husband. <laughs> it comes through on a record. Did you play the famous uh, Go Away Little Boy? You must have done that yeah, one at some point. Yeah, what a loads track. Everybody, everybody every gig, yeah. On, on, the, on the soul shows, I've seen, everybody still loves that track. Yeah. And I know she's yeah. done a great live version that goes for like 10 minutes. She? she can really, as you say, talk and sassy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. At the end, that's right. Yeah, she... she uh, because she, she does that thing, doesn't she? She's got this line where she says, "Don't, don't nibble my earlobes like, like that." that yeah, and, and, and then and then she goes, "Don't," <laughs> and then she says, she says something like, and then she, and she goes, "Don't touch nothing. Just get out of it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love playing her live work. There's one other person I don't know if you've ever worked with Millie Jackson, but so whenever I'm playing a Millie Jackson song, I always in production check. But she's a prolific swearer. And live, right. I always get to the end of that track and just like, I got through it. There wasn't any swears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So during last year then, during the, the whole lockdown period, how was that for you? I mean, quiet, I'm well, assuming, but are you good. living in London now? Or? Uh, I live in Bishop's Dortford. So we've lived here for about seven or eight years. Um, yeah, I'm obviously on the gig side, quiet. But I, I, I was quite lucky that I've, I've had things to do. Like you were talking about Kid Creole. Well, just before lockdown, he, um, he, I did it. I was lucky enough to do a, bit, a gig with my big band at Pizza Express, literally like five days before lockdown. And or, Kid Creole is called August Darnell, and I, I've, I've played in the Kid Creole and the Coconuts band for about ten years now. Uh, and August uh, said, "Oh, I'd like." He was going to come down to the big band gig. He couldn't make it. And he said, "Send me some stuff. I'd like to hear it." So I sent him one of my arrangements, you know, from the, and and he loved it. And he says, "I want to do. I want to do a big band album." So I said, great, let's do it. And, um, um, and then it occurred that we couldn't. He wanted to originally to me to write all the charts and then go into a studio and record it live with him singing live, like old school. And then it occurred that we couldn't do that. So what we did, we've done three tracks so far. I've actually uh, laid something been, down him. Yeah, yeah. We've got three complete tracks. We just haven't been able to mix them yet because his mix engineer is in Denmark. and uh, But I've done rough mixes, you know, but... Basically, I wrote, he sent me like 10 or 11 tracks and, and, I, and then I did the first arrangement 
we've done three and one of them's for big band and the other two big band with and then like orchestral string section you know so they're, they're big charts and um I, I got like paul booth to record all the saxes i got tom walsh to record all the trumpets and i, I got barney dickinson to record all the trombones barney plays in in kid creole and coconuts got ian thomas to do the drums i got ollie hayhurst to do the bass and then i got um th these string players from um who live up in newcastle to, to uh two or three different ones to, to overlay all the strings and then i i got them to record like four string parts each on each instrument and, and then i um overlaid sample strings so so it sounds quite, like so are these big. originals or standards they're they're originals yeah, they're all August originals. One of them I co-wrote with him. Uh, he he, sent, he sort of sends me a, a framework, sometimes with him just playing the guitar and singing. Uh, and he, he, why I like working with him is because he gives me like complete freedom to deconstruct it, rebuild it. I, I mean, I've changed harmony and just completely rebuilt a lot of the tracks. Um, Musical what, trust, isn't work, it? Obviously, he's got a lot of trust in what, yeah, what you... Yeah, well, well, what, well, what we do is, is I... Every I like do eight bars and then send it to him and he'll come back with some ideas. And we got into this routine over lockdown, you know, just doing these things slowly. And they built, they tend to, so the arrangement builds up quite organically with me sending it for feedback. And he says, I don't like this or I like that, you know, try this. And yeah, and so so I'm, I've started working on the fourth arrangement now. Um, but like I say, we was, like we, he wanted to mix them last year, but... It's just because I have to. He wants me there, so it's kind of impossible for me to go to Denmark at the moment with all the travel. But yeah, 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 yeah. So are we thinking a twenty twenty two release for that could happen? Uh, possibly, depending on how long it takes me to write another seven charts or something. If I knuckle down, I mean, he's got a lot of other things on the go as well. He's, he's quite proactive. So yeah, I was doing that, and then I've also been working on this uh, musical theatre piece um, by my my, my cousin runs a production company called Maya Productions and she's been writing this this music big musical theatre project called Benny and the Grey Cats and it's based on the uh, the experience of migration in this case of Anglo-Indians from India to the UK which is what our parents did uh, and so I've, I'm one of the composers on that and, and for me that's been a whole different learning curve like learning the place of music in musical theatre and within the, the framework of a production I mean it's completely different but we've been quite busy working on that as well and then i've done a few online sessions i've done a, a couple of albums for people from here you know so so that plus looking after the kids two um, young uh, boys have you got uh, got a boy and a girl three and a five-year-old oh very young that, yeah looking yeah it's, it's chaos all the time so I mean, through lockdown mind, obviously that was absolutely yeah yeah well it's always full on i mean my wife's taking them to the park at the moment, but my workstation is here. My piano is here. Yes, as I'm just looking at Mike, there, he's got a lovely piano yeah, behind him. Just, just through, through an open plan uh, is the TV and everything like that. So my, pretty much all the music I've written this year has been with the backdrop of CDs. <laughs> and it's been incredible for my powers of concentration being able to do that, you know. So you need to get live yeah. music on CBBS. You need to make this whole circle complete. That's what you should be working towards. That that, that, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark, it's been an absolute blast um, chatting with you. It really has. It's what a fascinating story. I love the kind of little rebel in you. It's just like now I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to learn how I want to learn, learn on gigs, and just enjoy making music. Yeah, I guess I, that wasn't an intentional thing, but that's how it worked out. But literally, if I, if I could do it again, I would just play Bach from the age of eight. 
because because everything is in there, and you know, I'm I'm now. I mean, I've written quite a lot of orchestral music over the last couple of years as well, because for for China Moses uh, and for a, an American trumpet player called Theo Croker. Yeah, yeah, they played together, yeah. didn't they? Theo's, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I met Theo because I did a tour with Dee Dee Bridgewater with 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 yeah with China and with Theo, um, and um, and then I wrote some orchestral charts for China, and Theo came and played a concert with him. I wasn't there, but he quite liked them, and, and so. One of his projects for the future is to do an orchestral album, and I think it's several projects down the line. But, but I've written three big charts for that. But the same sort of thing that, as I do with August, you know, me sending him back and forth. And, and so, but because I've, I've been writing quite a lot of full orchestral music, I, I'm I feel like I'm at the bottom of this mountain, you know. We, we, I, I look, I, you know, and I think, gosh, if only I'd have paid attention in Frank Salter's lessons. <laughs> Life can be so much easier for you. Yeah, but this, the best way to learn is on the job. I think you know it's true, isn't it? You know the old adage about learning by mistakes. It's so true. Once you've gone through a sort of sight reading session, once you, you, you just improve quickly. You need to, and you yeah. do. You know, yeah. so yeah. Wow, you've you've played with some great people though. Dee Dee as well. Dee Dee and Theo. Dee Dee, uh, I spent. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, I did spend. Also, I, I basically I was on the jazz scene for about five years, and when I came to London, just doing jazz gigs. And then in 2000 or 2001, I, I, I got the gig with Incognito, uh, and that lasted about a year. And then they needed to get a percussionist, so they dropped one of the keyboard players, and that was me. Um, but then I immediately got the got the gig with this band called Us Three. I don't know whether you remember them. Don't remember them. Us Three. They had this hit called Cantaloupe, which was Cantaloupe Island. Island. The Herbie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but it, it was like it had rappers on it and things. Uh, and, and they had this sort of big hit with that, and then they carried on touring and playing for for years. And we, I did that for about ten years, you know, uh, lots of European touring. And then, and then, and then after, and then, and then Marlene and a few other things. And then I got this in about about ten years ago, twelve years ago. I I, I got the gig with Boy George, you know, and uh, and and toured with him a lot for five years. And uh, and then I just had to sort of stop because they Culture Club was reforming and they were they were putting in these big world tours, and at the time my wife was pregnant and we were just about to have a baby, I just couldn't do it, you know. I mean, uh, but um, so that's one that I sort of had to retire from. Well, we've got some great music to play for you then, because at the end of this interview, I'm just going to talk to you and ask you to send over some music. Wow, we've got some great varied music to listen to. You know, it doesn't. I love the fact that it's not going to be all jazz. We can play, you know, we can dig into your catalogue and play some great stuff on the show this week. Oh yeah, I mean, um, one one record one record that I did with Boy George, which which was I think I really like the song is this song called King of Everything. Uh, I managed to to steamroll this piano part in there, which was very unnecessary, but it's something like a that, that sort of thing, you know. Which on a pop piano session, people are like, no, but 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 I think he had, when when we were doing that album, he had this quasi David Bowie thing going on. And uh, and David Bowie's pianist Mike Garson plays a lot of that, so I thought I play like Mike Garson, you know. And and I managed to, uh, and it meant that I could, uh, like my chops never got 
stale on Boy George gigs because I was able to practice these fast arpeggios. <laughs> I'm king of everything. Yeah, just basically. Sneak stuff like that in there. Yeah, paid rehearsal session with Boy George, basically. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. It's been really fascinating talking to you. And um, hopefully we can have you back in the future. You know, the world opens up and you've got albums out and you're touring, we can talk to you some more, yeah? Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Dave. Mike, thank you so much indeed. That's brilliant.
brilliant. I really enjoyed sitting down with Mike. I hope you enjoyed the interview too. And we just finished off the interview with a track that he recorded along with the Jim Mullen organ trio, a track by the name of Aja. So <laughs> he was mentioning a very sassy Marlena Shaw. And I've been promising you a epic track for Marlena. And we've got that coming up next. It's 10 minutes virtually of her telling the story of Yamo Go Way, little boy. Go pour yourself a drink, sit down and listen to Marlena tell a story. Straight ahead with the 606 Club and David Lewis. Last time love messed with me. I decided to take myself a $237 excursion vacation to Barcelona, Spain. Get me something strange. Y'all don't know how to treat a good woman up over here, no way. Hmm. Packed all my kitchen clothes. Pretty little wispy things. Oh, girl is naked again. But I caught nothing but pneumonia. Had to come back to these United States and I got off the plane at uh, LAX. I was living in New York at the time. I don't know why I got off the plane there, but you know, just just fate. I decided to stop off at the little magazine counter and get something to read for my way into the city. Could not believe my eyes. Standing there was Mr. Wonderful. Thought I better check him out in front though, because you know they will fool you, Sam. <laughs> oh, yes, my darling. I know that you can be the perfect man for me. I don't want you to ever have to look another further. Try me. After you've read all the magazines, realize there's no such thing as Snow White, try me. <laughs> he paid for the cab and the chlorets and <laughs> rest is history. Woo, we were doing so well. Pretty little house. Well manicured lawn, three big garbage cans. <laughs> Two cars in the garage. And the door was up so you know we was current in the payments. <laughs> Shut up. Then, uh, as I stand here right now today, I do not know what happened. Uh-uh, really, I mean, all I know is he came home one day and announced to me that he had quit his only job at the airport. Under his arm was a brown paper bag, the contents of which were 14 mirrors. Some Afro sheen, some Afro clean, some Afro fluid, some Afro do it to it, and some jerry curl mix. Just gonna drip all over everything and look at the black beautiful. Ow, mother's love, mother's love. And you know, it's crazy, but in a way that was okay because I wanted him to look good. You know what I mean? I didn't want somebody that nobody else in the world wanted. 
and I said, my darling, I, I truly do not mean to get in your business. But mayhaps you could tell me what's going to happen about the rent and the gas and the, the telephone. I'm not talking about the luxuries, I mean the necessities. He said, uh... <laughs> you working, ain't you? Get off my back, shit! But I was cool. Coming from a wonderful family. Not wanting my name to be spread all across papers. Oh, my she kill, uh-uh. I said, I'll stick with this. Till that day, I was straightening up the closet. Did not mean to clean it out, just straighten it up. And I started with his clothes and I got him up on the hanger and noticed the label said, who? Pierre Cardin. Pierre Cardin. Oleg Cassini. Bill Blast. I thought perhaps I'd meander down to my end of the closet and just check my clothing a little bit and I realized upon quick perusal that every one of my things had been made by those two famous sisters. Holly and Esther. <laughs> huh. I said, what's wrong with this picture? I said, now, 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 if for some reason you feel that you can no longer be the man that I thought you were at the beginning of our relationship, I got this one thing to lay on you, my sweet. Sit close. Just go away. see, I am not supposed to sit up here alone in the dark with some mirrors and no money and no you. Ain't no way I know, understand, I, I recognize the fact that your lips, uh, your, your lips, baby. Sweet, but it just don't look like our lips are gonna have another chance to meet I think that I can find myself another man And I know what to do All I need is one some good body to do it to So why don't you run, 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 run on away, little boy Let the doorknob hit you where the dog should have bit you, little boy. You are hurting me more. Each and every minute you delay. Let you hang around. Oh, when you're near me like this, well. Why don't you just go on away? Why don't you get out of my life, little boy? Before I do something rash I know somebody in Beverly Hills that'll hurt you for $11, huh? You're hurting me more I, I mean that you're kind of getting on that last nerve 
and listen, by the way, before you leave, <laughs> give me back those gold cufflinks I got you last Father's Day when we thought it was, but it wasn't, but you kept them anyway. Before I beg you, and please don't stand so close to me when you're trying to get that last goodbye kiss. I know you move, sugar. I said it's over, case closed. You read lips? Uh-uh, come on now. Now come on, get your hands up. Take your, take your, get your, get out my face now. The rough stuff, baby. Come on, baby. I said, uh, on, baby. <laughs> Please don't kiss my eyelids like that. <laughs> and, and, and don't suck my uh, <laughs> earlobes like that. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, 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 hold it, baby. <laughs> Do you think it's possible you could get another job by Thursday? <laughs> huh? You promise? You ain't gonna fool me this time, Israel. Then you might as well stay. If you're looking for that particular version of Marlena Shaw's Go Away Little Boy, you'll find it on an album. It's now available digitally. I've got it on vinyl. I spent a fortune on it, but it's available digitally uh, on the album Life and Vine Street in 1986. And I've always loved that version. And having heard Mike talk about the very sassy Marlena Shaw, it comes to life even more, doesn't it? Dan Torres, who moved over to London in 2003 from Brazil, which was where his father was born, he's on stage with us this coming Sunday from 8 o'clock. The gig is going to be a mixture of rock and soul, and he's going to be covering some of the greats by the likes of Marvin Gaye, Bill Withers, Eric Clapton and the Beatles. And of course, all the details are over on the website, which is 606club.co.uk. Last week, we started to play the uh, brand new single, the second single, I think, from the upcoming album, Paul Edis, and here it is again, Muddle Through.
muddle through is the current single from Paul Edis ahead of the full album release in September. Hoping very much to get our hands on the album and uh, bring it to you here on Straight Ahead. Tony Kofi released an album last year, Another Kind of Soul. It featured music of the great Cannonball Adderley. On the album, he was joined by musicians, uh, pianist Alex Webb on bass, Andrew Kleindart, and Alfonso Vitali was on the drums. It was a live recording, and uh, ages since we played anything from it. Actually, here is Work Song. Thank you. 
Tony Kofi, ladies and gentlemen. Tony Kofi. Work song, as I mentioned, is a track lifted from the album Another Kind of Soul, which you can buy off all the normal digital platforms and also directly from Tony's website itself, which is tonykofimusic.com. And there's some great news about Tony last week I saw as well on social media. He's been awarded a three-year honorary professorship at Nottingham University starting later this year. Tony, congratulations. That really well-deserved. Loved having our guest on the show this week, Mike Gorman. A really fascinating interview. You never know what you're going to do when you sit down with these guests, but he was so entertaining. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did and also listening to all of the artists that he's played with during the course of the show this week. So we're going to play out on the show now with somebody that's down at the club with us. We turn into the club indeed on Saturday, 7th of August, Saxman. We have got Tim Whitehead. He's going to be on stage with a stellar lineup, including Jonathan G on piano again, as per the last track, Andrew Kleindart on the bass and Dave Barry is going to be on the drums. And it's a great track of Tim's that we played back when we had him as a guest on the show. And this is Landscape from the Lusane Sketchbook. Thanks to company. I'll see you at the same time next week for more jazz and conversation.